I was kind of weird in high school. Some of y'all don't struggle to, to imagine that now. But, uh, but I had a super, I had a, a really strong faith in high school. And in fact, I was praying and feeling called to ministry back in high school, which kind of boggles my mind at this point. But about the time I got to the summer between my junior and senior year, I went off to be an exchange student in South America. And as I've shared before, the wheels came off because it was all about trying to process suffering in the world and what, what to do with that. And that's a whole other story. But the thing I want to say, and I've always been sort of a person who's, who likes to grapple with really deep questions, first order questions and all this. And I remember that time after God was sort of out the window for a little bit, that I remember this moment where I was thinking, you know, the reason to live is ultimately friends and family. And I've never forgotten how important during that time when my faith sort of hit the ground, how important friends and family were to me. And today I want to, I want to talk a bit about friends, right? Because we're, we think about friends, we think about how God created us. We, we go back and we read the creation stories and we're mindful that God created us for companionship. He created us ultimately to have a relationship with Him. But part of that is to have companionship with one another. That's what we get out of that creation story in part. We're meant to have friends. That's part of how we're wired. We're wired to be a people that are connected and have these kinds of relationships with one another. And that's what I want to talk about today. We're doing this as part of a sermon series we did back in February. Unless you think I don't read those communication cards, I had a bunch of people who said, really like this series, wish we could do another. So like three weeks on, I'm going to add one more to it. So we talked about it. So we're adding, that's why this, back to this sermon slide, it says week six, even though we had a little three-week uh, break in the middle. And we were talking about during that series, basically about taking in God's love in, into us and into our relationships. And we're going to do that today, talking about what we do with friendships. And as we start that, I want to first begin by just talking a little bit about some of the headwinds that we face in forming really significant friendships, right? And, and the beginning place that, to kind of start that conversation is to talk about C.S. Lewis for a, for a moment. I don't know how many of you guys have read C.S. Lewis, but he was this great Christian writer from last century, was an Oxford professor and so forth. But he, got it, he was an atheist who converted, and then he did all these great Many of them were radio addresses that were later put into books, and they're, and they're all fantastic. But one of those that's just like what I just described was uh, a book that ultimately came out as The Four Loves. And in this book, this is, came out like 60 years ago, C.S. Lewis talks about how deprived we are to only have one word for love. Because he, he, he goes back into the ancient Greek and all this and says, there, look, there's at least four kinds of love that the ancients use different words for. And he talks about storge, which is really affection. It's really the love between a parent and child kind of a thing. There's eros, which you can probably guess is a romantic love. And then he talks uh, about um, agape is how I would say it. But you can actually go listen to C.S. Lewis do these talks live. And he says agape. And I don't know if it's tomato, tomato, but he says agape, which is the love of, that God has for us. It's the Christian love at the highest level that God has for us. But the fourth one that he mentions is philia, which is a love of friendship. And so he devotes a chapter in this book to talking about friendship. And what he says, again, this is 60 years ago, he talks about how there aren't nearly enough deep friendships in the world. And he himself, if you've ever visited Oxford, you can go to the pub where he used to meet with all these 
famous intellects, they would all get together once a week and have beer and talk about the latest books they were writing, Tolkien and Dorothy Sawyers and all these different people would get together. They had this great friendship every week getting together at, um, the nickname is The Baby and the Bird. I can't remember the official name of it, the, the pub, but you can go to it and see where they used to sit. But he says that we don't have nearly enough friendships for a number of different reasons. And one of the reasons he starts out by saying is if you look at these four loves, you know, philia is the least natural of these loves. He says, you know, if you go look at storge, parent and child, it just happens. Eros definitely just happens. But he says like philia is like one of these ones where you have to, it's, it's not completely natural. You have to devote more energy to it to make it happen and to, to cultivate and do all these things. And then the next thing he says, I'm going to adjust the terminology a little bit for some of the tender ears, but he says one of the other barriers, this is 60 years ago, he says one of the other barriers is that if you really get into having this friendship, that ultimately some people are going to think you're LGBTQ if you're hanging out too much with this friend. And he's saying this 60 years ago. I don't know what y'all think about that today or not, but I will tell you about five or six years ago, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal that was telling guys how you can safely go out with another guy. And, and the ultimate, the, this whole article came out and said, if you go to a place that has TVs with sports on it, you're good. <laughs> so now, I, now I've got it figured out why when you go to all these places, you see all the, all the sports things on. I, I think the, the third thing um, that sort of really is a headwind that pushes back against this is our deep sense of independence and our technology today. That we think we're connected and all this. But those, we can call them friends on Facebook, but come on. I mean, if that's all you got going on is the little exchanges on Facebook, that's not much of a friendship. So we, we get this false sense of connection, and we get this sense that we're called to be these independent people, and so we don't, we don't I think, make the effort. But at the same time, this is a hugely important piece of how we're wired. As I said, sort of theologically, we get from the creation story. But you go look at these surveys that people do. Like two of the surveys I've seen, one of them says that people have a deep desire to have a deep friendship. That's like, that happens in surveys, that people say that's something they want. And then one of the other things that comes out of surveys are that people saying that one of their biggest psychological um, needs or, or concerns is loneliness. And so we think about how important friendships are. And my question to you is, are we developing holy friendships? Are we nurturing these? Are we engaging in friendships the way that God ultimately wants for us or that's going to help us flourish in life the way that he would have us. And I think it's interesting when you look at Jesus's life because Jesus has these 12 apostles that are walking with him. Surely they're all his friends. But he also has this inner circle, right? Peter, James, and John. And whenever he's under great stress, we're going to get later in Lent, we're going to talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. He wants those folks with him. He wants those guys with him. Those are the, that's his inner circle, that he's got this deep network of friends, right? So I want to spend um, the rest of the sermon talking about that today and really looking at what, and I've called it holy friendships in part because I want to look at what Scripture has to say about it. Like separated from everything else, what, is, what do our ancient writings in the sacred text of Scripture have to say about it? And if you know most of what I'm going to draw upon, I'm going to draw a little bit from the New Testament, but a lot of it's from the Old. And if you remember how the Old Testament goes, that we've got the law and the prophets, but we have this part of the Old Testament that's called the wisdom literature. And I really want to draw on Ecclesiastes and from Proverbs because they have a lot of wisdom to say about um, friendship. And I really want to just focus on five quick things to think about 
I've been told by somebody, like, whenever you do the first one and it's really long, you let, need to let everybody know we're going to get out on time. So the first one's really long, and then we'll, the other ones are going to be shorter. But, you know, the very first one of these is if you want to have good, deep friends, you've got to be a good, deep friend. I mean, I mean it's really, really straightforward with this. That you've, you've got to have loyalty. You've got to have commitment. You've got to have these things going on. And I'm going to read just a couple passages of Scripture on this. Proverbs 18 says, Friends come and friends go, but a true friend sticks by you like family. The gospel lesson we heard today, Jesus talks about greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. This idea that however you want to package friendship or talk about deep friendship, it's going to involve commitment and it's going to involve a measure of loyalty. This is like the opposite of all the friends of the prodigal son that we read about in the Gospels. Because you remember how the prodigal son goes. He gets all this inheritance and he gets to walk down the road having a great time with all these friends while he's throwing out money everywhere. But when the money dries up, they all leave him to rot. That's how some translations say it. Those aren't friends. That's not what it's about. But Which is a reminder to us that friendship is going to involve walking with people at times when you don't want to be there. When they're going through hard stuff and you, and you just... You're like, it's, this isn't fun. Like, part of this isn't fun. You know, I think about this. I, I went for many years with a particular struggle, and I had this one friend of mine who would, who would listen to me say the same thing every week. Yeah, this is the pits. You know, this is what's going on. It was the same thing. And I could see that he was tired of it, but he was drawing on his friendship to stay there and listen to it. And then later on, I had another friend who said, hey, I've got a friend going through a similar thing. What advice do you have? And I said, never get tired of hearing him say the same pain. Because you may want to get, it's not fun to hear but it's so important to be able to hear them say, this thing's hurting. It's the same thing that hurt last week. It's probably going to be the same thing that hurts next week. But this idea that there's this commitment and loyalty that's, that says we're going to continue to walk together. And it takes an investment when we talk about the commitment piece. I've got one of my friends in this room who we meet every single month for lunch, and we've done that for about 12 to 13 years. I mean, just great. And it's not always easy. We get busy, and his schedule's crazy. My schedule's crazy sometimes. But every month, we end our meeting by saying, when are we meeting next? And um, th that's how you invest in a friendship. That's part of what you do. But this loyalty thing says not only that you're going to make commitment, but you're going to stand by people, right? You're going to stand by them even when things change. And this is countercultural today, which is like, like, I feel like the church has got to say to society, man, give, let's have some grace. You know, I was talking to my nephew, the other, my niece the other day, and she was talking about this term, you're canceled. Like these people, like the political correct correctness today, if you say something wrong, like you accidentally slipped and said some word of hatred or some politic political correctness taboo, you're canceled. People are going to just defriend you and do all this other stuff. That's where society's at. No grace. We need to be a community of grace. And I'll say more about it in a minute about our friendships. But we've got to bring some grace into our friendships. And part of that is standing by people even when they mess up. Um, I was reading the story um, the other day about the Secretary of State for um, Harry Truman, if I can find it in my notes in a minute, but anyway, his name, Dean, Dean Eckeson, and um, he, he went, how do you say it, Eckeson? Atchison, okay, so at some point he had a little bit of a political turmoil even back in Harry Truman's uh, um, tenure because he went, this is during McCarthyism, one of his good friends, whose last name was Hiss, got convicted went to prison, 
And he decided to go see him in prison. And everybody was, it caused a stir. What are you doing seeing this guy? He was, because he was convicted as a traitor. And he went on to say, look, just because your friend's in prison for whatever reason doesn't mean you stop being a friend. And I'm wondering how many of us have that kind of loyalty where we'll stand with somebody, even when things are going down or whatever's happening, right? Well, as we think about loyalty, um, I think there's also a couple ways to look at the kinds of friends we encounter. The, um, a great book that's out there on relationship is by this couple. They're both PhDs in, in um, psychology, Les and Leslie Parrott, and they teach out West. And, um, but they write in their book, when they talk about friendship, they say there are two kinds of friends, and you don't know what, what, how these friends work out at the start, and they're both good, but there's friends of the road, and there's friends of the heart. That's how they say it. And so friends of the road are when you're in some chapter of life where your journeys and your roads come together and you walk together and you're great friends, but whenever the road um, separates, you drift away. And I think about this for me when I was in law school, I had this study group. We were so intense every day doing all this stuff together. I thought we'd be friends for life. And we are, but we don't talk anymore. Like we're friends of the road. The roads go away. And that, that's where it goes. But there's another kind of friend called a friend of a heart. So when the roads split, you, ne- you don't lose the distance. And it doesn't even necessarily mean that you're, you're as good on the commitment as you should be, like you're not talking necessarily every month or having lunch every month, but you somehow manage to stay close. You talk every six months, and you, always, you feel like nothing has left you, like nothing has changed. I think about one of my fraternity brothers uh, from, we were fraternity brothers, we were both engineers, which was like, we were like three of us in the whole fraternity, and, and we, were, we led a, a Bible study together back in college, and we're that way, we're still that way. I can call him up, if I'm in a deep crisis, he's one of the people on my top three, four list that I'm going to call, even though we don't talk that much. He's, all, he's in ministry today, he's a, he's a friend of the heart, that's going to continue and that's going to go on. We don't always know which kinds those are, but those are kind of the the two we have. And I used to think that everybody was going to be a friend of the heart, you know, so it was almost kind of hard for me to see people go down that road. But that is the way the way it's at. But the blessing is if we invest and we ultimately end up with some people who are friends of the heart, they're going to walk with us all the way. Right. So that's the very first thing. They're not going to all be this long but this idea of loyalty and commitment. If you're going to if you're going to have holy friendships that matter in life, you're going to have to be a deep friend. You're going to have to do the stuff the commitment and the loyalty and the investment that it's going to take to do that. The, the second thing is one of these things I feel like I shouldn't have to say, but it's in Scripture. It's super important, and I know that it gets um, busted and violated at times, and that has to do with confidentiality. Proverbs 16 says, Troublemakers start fights. Gossip breaks up friendships. This idea that... Um, Whatever you say about a friendship can end up killing it. And of course, like C.S. Lewis, when he talks about philia, he says the heart of how friendships begin is by self-disclosure, by sharing something deep and having somebody say, oh, yeah, me too, or whatever else, whatever else is going on, but it's this self-disclosure bit. And I think we get that in our gospel lesson today as well, because Jesus says, you know, I'm calling you friends because I'm sharing you everything I know from the Father. It's this self-disclosure bit. It's, it's a key piece of how we develop and nurture these friendships. But if we have loose lips and get into gossip and say things and, and whatever, it, it can destroy, ultimately destroy the friendship, right? So it's something maybe we shouldn't have to say, but it's in Scripture, and I think it's a big piece. And we start to think about how we're broken. 
that would lead me to sort of the third thing that we talk about is, and we've already mentioned this earlier in the series we did back in February, but really every relationship, if it's going to keep going, has got to have grace and forgiveness in it because we're broken people. We are, everybody's broken. Everybody's broken, right, at some level. So we have to practice grace in relationships because even if we're trying not to, we're going to hurt one another. And we've got to be able to forgive and, and practice grace and hopefully have reconciliation. Although sometimes hurts take place that it's just not right to, to reconcile, but you always have to forgive. And if that's a question for you, go back and listen to the sermon that we did on, on letting it go, because that's part of who we are and what we have to do. So commitment and loyalty, we've got to have confidentiality, we've got to have the ability to forgive and to, and to practice grace in these relationships. And the fourth thing that I want to mention is that we have to have um, a measure of honesty in what we do. Back in the second century BC, Cicero said this, um, the philosopher, genuine friendship cannot exist where one of the parties is unwilling to hear the truth and the other is equally indisposed to speak it. Proverbs 27 says something really similar. Faithful are the wounds of a friend Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This idea that we've got to have this measure of honesty and self-disclosure that has to be involved in it all if we're going to nurture um, our, our friendship. I think about this. I, many years ago, I, I, I had this day where I was in, a, I was in a, a bit of a bad spot, and I had this one close friend we met, and I, I sort of unloaded on him, just like really, you know, I was in this moment where, where it was, I was, maybe I was having a pity party, I don't know what was going on, but I just laid all this stuff out. When I was finished... With it, I felt greatly relieved, and I started to think about it all. That, you know, it was like one of these things where it was, I, I'd sort of done this, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, what did I just do? You know, and I thought about Dale Carnegie saying, don't criticize, condemn, or complain. And I had to tell my friend, I was like, I think I just did all three. <laughs> and I was feeling bad about it. He was like, dude, I'm so glad you did. If you ever do, like, if you're ever getting caught up in these little things and your world's out of perspective, I'm going to tell you because I care about you as a friend. And I was like, thank you. I mean, that was like, what a blessing that was for him to say, be honest, and if you're ever doing something that's crazy, I'm going to tell you. I mean, because honesty is a part about, of what we do and what it takes to nurture our different relationships. The final thing that I want to say today um, as we think about having holy friendships is um, not so much how you conduct yourself in the friendship, but more or less who you're going to invest in on these friendships. And I want to suggest that there are two different passages of Scripture for us to think about on this that are at odds. Not at odds, but they call us to think about a balance, right? One of the passages of Scripture is from John 17 that talks about we as Christians are called to be in the world, but not of it. And what that means, thinking about being in the world, but not of it. So you're not meant, when we talk about being in the world, we're not talking that you're supposed to be in some Christian ghetto where you don't have any friends outside the church. That's not what we're talking about. But you're also supposed to keep your salt and keep your, keep your um, integrity in how you walk with Christ. So, it's, so that's the balance. And the other passage I want to quote is from uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, he says that bad company ruins good morals. This idea that if you... For example, if you come to a new place in faith and all you do is hang out with people who have no faith, that's not going to be good for how things go in your developing 
your spiritual walk. So it's a balance, right? It's a balance. We're meant to be in the world, not of it. So we're, by all means, have friends in every walk of life. But we're also meant to have friends that are going to weigh in and, and, and to tell you when things are going wrong or when you know that they're going to encourage you to seek Christ and your relationships and the things that you're doing and all this. And I think we see it in Jesus' life, right? Because Jesus takes all this flack for hanging out with these tax collectors and the prostitutes and the scandalous woman who wipes his feet with her hair and perfume and all the different stuff he does where people are like, oh, what? You know, all the religious leaders and all that. But he also has these people who are always uh, working on his close interconnection of his apostles who are devoting themselves to God and trying to do what God wants and surrendering and doing all this, who are around him. And he wants them praying with him when he's in his hardest spot in life in Gethsemane when he knows he's about to get betrayed. He wants those folks praying with him, staying awake and praying, as we're going to hear later as we go. So I think it calls us to also think about um, who we choose as our friends and what that balance looks like. Well, the the final thing I want to end with today is a story. And I'm convinced this, this is a story that many people in the room of certain a generation know this story, and a lot of our younger folks won't know anything about this story. Um, but this idea, this story starts in Massachusetts a long time ago, last century, with a woman named Ann Sullivan. And Ann Sullivan was born, um, she was born half blind, and her very, when she was very young, her mom died. She ended up destitute. And then she found her way um, through some help to the uh, Perkins Institute for the Blind. And there they were able to arrange surgery for her. And this miraculous surgery restored her sight. Through all this, um, she decided she would devote herself to working and trying to help others who were blind. Meanwhile, there was a young girl born in the South. And, and I know many in the room already know who this is going to be, but... Very, 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 very young as a child, before she could speak, um, she had an illness that, that made her completely deaf and completely blind. And without those two, she couldn't speak. So she's, talk about loneliness, we talk about where you are in loneliness, she has nothing in that, no hearing, no sight. People were giving up on her. People had tried to work with her, gave up on her. And then Ann Sullivan met her and started to work with her as her teacher. And in two weeks, she taught her 30 words by writing on her hand. And that started a 49-year friendship where they were um, daily involved in each other's lives. And, of course, the woman from the South is Helen Keller. And she went on to be this great, um, super well-known prodigy and all this other stuff with how she would write and the things, her insights and what she would do. But they stayed super close friends in connection every single day. And then in Ann Sullivan, later in Ann Sullivan's life, towards the end, she again became blind. And it was Helen Keller who taught her then, the, the switch between the pupil and the teacher, of how it was, to, how would she would live and how she would function and what she would do. And they continued on that way in great friendship. And then Ann, eventually Ann Sullivan got um, a deathly disease and was dying. And so when she died, um, Ann Sullivan had married, she was Mrs. Macy, but when she died, her husband was there, but so was Helen Keller. They were holding her hands as she died. And Helen Keller said this as she, after she died that day. She said, I pray for strength to endure the silent dark until she smiles upon me again. And what a blessing friendship can be. God's wired us for relationships. What are we doing to have holy friendships? I invite you to think about and ponder that this week and talk about it at lunch. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us so much. Thank you for sending your son that we might have an incredible relationship with you, one that involves love and involves friendship. We thank you for the gift of friends. Thank you for friends of the road and friends of the heart. We thank you for your wisdom given to us in Scripture, calling us to be a people who are loyal, who hold confidences, who forgive and who are honest. We ask that you would bless us, Lord, with the blessing of friendships. Lord, help us in all this by your grace. We'd have friends that would encourage us in the way, encourage us to love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.